Welcome to Mama Talk Talks, A Different Take, a podcast where everyday people around the globe share a different take on everyday issues. I'm your host, Abi Mambo, and I'm pleased you're joining us today. Welcome. Hi, Suman. Welcome to Mama Talk Talks, A Different Take. Hi, Abam. How are you? I'm doing well. It's, it's, I, I gotta tell you, I was cool with the whole lockdown thing for a long time because I'm an, I'm an intro, but it didn't really bother me. But now I'm starting to get to the point where it's like, okay, I need to just get out and go somewhere. How, how, how are you coping in India? It's uh, been a surreal experience, really. Um, uh, we came here for my kids' spring break, like two and a half months back to spend exactly five days. And we have still been here, here being my mom's place. I've been at my mom's place for two and a half months now. <laughs> and I did some calculation. It's the longest I have stayed with my mom since before college. So really? uh, my, yes, in my parents' house. So it's been great for the kid, of course, but you know, many, <laughs> but you know what would happen if you stay with your mom and dad for so long. So it's, it's going well though. They forget that you have your own life sometimes, but I also imagine <laughs> that it's kind of nice, right? To have, I mean, your daughter probably having a lot of fun, but just for her to have her grandparents spending that quality time with her is also just great. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, she's very close to her uh, grandparents. Yeah. And uh, I mean, if we had to get locked down, I would rather be here than anywhere else. So we are in a good place. Are you sure you would rather be at a beach resort? No, you would have run out of money. We would all run out of money right now. We would all be out of money right now. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, before we got on, you were telling me about, are those clothes yours? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, um, well, actually, since I came with five t-shirts, you know, this is great because I've been borrowing all my mom's uh, <laughs> Indian outfits. It's incredible. Every Zoom call, I didn't bring any formal clothes because it was really a quick trip. And yeah. all my office Zoom calls are with my mom's outfits. <laughs> I'm just going to ask you, like, wh- why are you dressed like a woman your mom's age and you're like because of her clothes <laughs> oh my word we just have to have such a sense of humor about this thing right because it's incredible it's been just incredible on so many levels i keep saying mm-hmm. you know i have this quote now that i came up with i say for you know 2020 it's odd. It's very odd how how twenty twenty is given that it's an even year, right? I mean, you you would think that it's supposed to be even and smooth sailing, but my word, it's only June, and between coronavirus and everything that's going on in the U.S. right now, it's like brother. It's like twenty twenty <laughs> is hindsight, right? We say hindsight is twenty twenty, so it's twenty twenty to tell us every single thing as a as a human species we have done wrong in our entire evolution, <laughs> and this is coming yeah. to bear. Yeah, it's an amazing time. It's a time for reflection. I remember someone was teaching me numerology once and four, this is so ironic, four in numerology is supposed to be the number of like stability and structure and like, (laughs) 
I was like, I, th- I think 2020 hit me the wrong four year, right? Like, really? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but the person who taught you may not know numerology, numerology no. so well. But I went and I read it. It's like, you know, it's like one is supposed to be like, of course, it's always the beginning, right? Two is the mm. diplomat. Three is the artist. Four is the structure firm, blah, blah, structure. blah. Five is me. Mm. Five is change. I'm like, okay, so if if if, cha- if all this change is happening in 2020, what the heck is going to happen in 2021? <laughs> I do not want to know. I do not wish to know this. <laughs> oh my God, mm. this is so awesome. Uh, wow. It's been too long since we spoke. Thank you for coming on the show. And I'm not even sure where to start. You know, whether it's congrats on the wedding, which I missed. What was it? In 2006? Or on your daughter? Or on your fabulous, fabulous career? So I just have to say big congratulations. 40 under 40 in their business. People, not women. I mean, wow. Tell me about that. What is this award? I mean, I think I know what it is, but t- tell me what it really means in the country of over a million people. Thank you, Abam. Thank you. Um, so this, this is Economic Times, 40 under 40. And every year, uh, the, it's over maybe the last five, six years, Economic Times has started uh, recognizing 40 people who are under the age of 40. Uh, across all spheres of business, professional, uh, you can be entrepreneurs or professional career people or lawyers or uh, consultants, etc. So the way this is done is uh, uh, the Spencer Stewart, which is you know the global recruiting agency, they through yeah. their network pick up pick up resumes or pick up the names of these people from different uh, spheres of life, and there's a very eminent jury, which is uh, chaired by uh, you know, managing directors and chairpersons of several of the large companies in India, and they decide. So it's not, they don't interview us, they just look at a body of work and uh, maybe they check in with our companies and then they decide. So it was quite a big surprise for me when I found, I got that email saying, you are in this year's 40 under 40 because I had not applied. The thing was, uh, just earlier that year, I was recognized in the ET Women Ahead. Economic Times, women ahead. So they recognize some 20 women and I was on that list. So I, it's fine, you know, it's women ahead, but it's great. And then comes this 40 under 40. So they had all my details and they just put it in this thing and uh, I got selected or recognized. So it was a fabulous event. I got to meet a lot of my peers in the industry and uh, really allowed us to sort of expand our network. Yeah, it, it's fantastic. And I, I am not surprised about any of that. I mean, when you were in business school, you were about your business. Whatever the rest of us were doing over there was whatever we were doing, you were about your business. So none of this surprises me. I mean, right after school, you went off to McKinsey and then you've just been doing all this stuff. And as we speak, it just occurred to me, I haven't actually asked you to introduce yourself to the audience. So, so my piece... <laughs> <laughs> Tell the audience <laughs> who you are. I am a band's friend. That's who I am. Uh, and 
otherwise otherwise uh, i'm suman mishra i live in india and uh, currently and uh, as uh, i'm a working professional i'm the senior vice president of group strategy in the mahindra group which is a large conglomerate um i have a 5 year old uh, daughter and uh, and i do practice a bunch of yoga so but i think overall uh, i describe myself as a grounded person and a happy person so that's where yeah and you've been that since this whole thing started we've been laughing the last however long we've been speaking um so suman i know that you're short on time and there are a number of things that i want to hit so i usually start with professional life but i'm not going to start there i'm going to start mm. with the heart because mm. when we were in school I got to know you and I were roommates actually and um your two years in business school we were roommates and I got to know a certain gentleman through you who eventually became your husband just yes. just share I I I don't get a chance to do this often on this show which is to tell a love story so if you if you don't mind just share a little bit about you and Adarsh absolutely um as you know Adarsh and I met in uh, business school we were in ross together we were actually in the same section and uh, i mean we got along fabulously uh, i think it was uh, love from the get go although we tried not to but it didn't work nothing worked and uh, there was just a meeting of minds i feel i think our value systems and uh, who we were as people or what we wanted to do uh, it sort of gelled well and matched well and i think whatever would have happened or not happened when our, when my parents basically put their foot down said no way you can marry outside your uh, culture outside your caste etc etc which is the traditional indian thinking that you should marry within your community that really <laughs> made me in, ensure that we got together i mean maybe a little bit of defiance but also a little bit like you know it's my life let me choose who i want to stay with but it has been a fabulous uh, journey so far uh, sometimes i tell this story like my parents were pretty sure that they didn't want me to marry this person who was outside the community and one fine day they introduced my husband adarsh to their uh, you know family and friends and said no this is adarsh he's such a great boy we found him for our daughter's wedding <laughs> yes. So they completely forgot that you brought him and they said no. <laughs> I I suppose all parents get around but uh, I mean, it has been a great it has been a great experience for us. I mean we are, we are really uh, really soulmates and friends and, and there's a lot of respect and uh, you know support because uh, life has its ups and downs and crazy turn arounds and you just kind of need to be there and uh, more than anything else i think you have to just respect the other person you know and yeah. really support them when they need it i think that has been there for me i'm really lucky and so and especially with the birth of my little kid uh, that has really reinforced itself because you know she's the love of our life and <laughs> she keeps us uh, vibrant and on our toes all the time so it's yeah. been quite great i think personally I, i have been pretty lucky that's awesome you know the there are some people who who don't 
fully understand when you talk about a caste system or a sort of your culture, what what that means. Because in some parts, even in Cameroon, right, sometimes they'll say you can't marry a boy from a different tribe. But in India, mm-hmm. this is like a really highly specific thing. So give us a sense of context, what it means to not marry outside of your caste. And, and this is a very old Vedic ritual. So there are supposed to be four castes and, you know, Brahmins and Kshatriyas and uh, so on and so forth. There are four castes, uh, Vaishyas and uh, Shaivs and so on. Now, what has happened over time is uh, for us, it is it was two parts. So I am a Brahmin and he's a Kshatriya. And that is sort of inside you know nobody really explicitly talks about it but even Mm. today people would much rather you marry within your caste now that works when you choose to marry within say your language uh, or community lines so when i say community i belong to a state called odisha we all speak odia our food our culture everything is a little bit different than adarsh who belongs to bihar they speak bihari and so not only did we go across these two communities, <laughs> but we also went across castes. And I think at some point, our parents basically, both sides, just sort of gave up. Like, we don't know how to deal with this, so we'll get it's along. Like, and <laughs> defiance galore, both of you. It's like defiance on both sides. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, you don't, you don't think about it. Like, so we never, the thing is, I never grew up knowing all these things. You know, we were just, Brahmins, we used to pray, whatever. I mean, it was just normal. And we never knew that there was any kind of inbuilt uh, uh, discrimination against other castes or other uh, communities. But it so happens that when girls or boys in India get married, the parents somehow remember all these traditional rules and come to the forefront and say, now, now we shall implement all these crazy rules. Because, you know, growing up, you will just not hear about these things uh, Mostly, it, because mine was a little bit more uh, modern and supportive family. I never heard about this until I'm like, I want to marry this boy. And they're like, no, he's a Bihari. I'm like, excuse me? Yeah, like, what, what, what has that got to do with me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but wow. It, it's still, in, it's just, I was uh, being a bit flippant, but it is still uh, deeply rooted uh, in most of the societies in India. Uh, Caste is a big thing, especially when it comes to marriage. I don't think in most other situations this you will see this or experience this. But when it comes to marriage, people strictly choose to marry within their uh, little square boxes. Um, there is some logic, I'm sure, for this because, you know, the language is the same. The food practices are the same. The parents can build a relationship with each other. But in today's, uh, you know, hyper-mobile and hyper-connected society, yeah, hyper- is there a place for this? I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, interesting, very interesting. So, in this context, then, um, not to perpetuate this, but I just want to understand how societies work. So, w- what is your daughter considered? I don't know. We 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 <laughs> just choose. <laughs> we just decided that she is not going to have any exposure to any of this. So so, okay. but uh, but her last name is my husband's last name. That is just okay. how it goes in uh, legal uh, legal term. Only recently did the government of India allow you to put your mother's name in the passports as the primary uh, you know parent. It just happened. Okay. 
recently a few years ago i think because you know there were a lot of single mothers and then there is this problem if father is not living then how can you not put your father ill not living with us then why will i put his name etc etc so only recently this was allowed but uh, traditionally they take the name of the father's last name but you know she is going to be we live in bombay she is exposed to all <laughs> kinds of culture all kinds of people yeah, I mean, yeah. She, we consider she's she's going to be a global citizen we are pretty sure of that uh, so yeah. i don't want to perpetuate all this stuff with her even if she gets married to whoever i have no problem yeah yeah no, that's that's fantastic so the, the other thing i want to talk about is coming to the professional sphere a lot has been said about gender rights in the workplace i cannot imagine that how tough your journey was to get to where you i mean senior vice president at at your company i mean that is that is no small feat right yesterday a friend and i were looking at a number of really large corporations right and going how many women do we have at that senior level and one level down so c suite and c suite minus 1 and how many people of color do we have at c suite and c suite minus 1 <coughs> let's just say what the problem so mm-hmm. so suman what is the driving force behind your success because when we when we left school i know you went to mckinsey and then the next thing i know you were just every other time there was something about you in the papers i was like where where is this woman going so what has your journey been and what especially as a woman how have you navigated to get into into the senior achievements of um your your company yeah and uh, this is of course the most perpetual topic right uh, uh, i am one of the four women in the top 100 of mahindra group so uh, it's it's really it's really it's a single digit percentage it's not even anywhere close to 10% and uh so on so forth um and this problem is there oh uh 200000 employees wow okay yeah those numbers are abysmal but then that's what makes you even more impressive at the same time okay carry on so um we talk about this often right and uh There, there are a few ways uh, I like to decompose this in my head. One is sort of the woman's perspective and what she can do, and one is, of course, the company's perspective and what they can do. Um, needless to say, if ninety-six percent of the people around you are of a certain type, whatever type it may be, in this case it happens to be male, in some other cases it is race, you know, some cases it will be religion, but whatever type it might be, the the majority the stereotypes the rules are all meant for this 96% right so yeah. so this is what we face today is that the systems are designed and run by people who may not fully appreciate the challenges of being diverse or being different um and uh, you know that thus if you're in it if you're a senior women leader as you are as i am we try to then influence the uh uh the system to try and make it more friendly more welcoming you know we make the retention programs we make the leadership programs for women to train them to develop them to just increase the percentages there uh but yeah. 
as the McKinsey study said, at this rate, it will take us 100 years to have an equal yep. seat at the table. Um, and so this is the problem. This is the problem that we face. And at the same time, this is perpetuated by sort of the dual burden that you have to carry at home, right? And you have to take care of your family, kid, et cetera, et cetera. It is sort of, and in an Indian, Indian context, it's even worse, right? It's naturally assumed. And I was just telling my friends that I think this lockdown has been one of the worst reinforcers. All women have just been relegated back to the kitchen and cleaning and dishes because we lost all our help and support. Like, as you know, we have a lot of helpers in India who come and do this work. Now all the mothers and the women are doing this work. So I don't know what it is going to do to get back to the equal position. So all my male colleagues who work, we just look, uh, we do so many calls and videos and so on. And they appreciate that the wife has to work a lot, but how many of them are really stepping up and doing whatever they're uh, to help out at home? It's, it's probably minuscule. And some of them have really acknowledged that, you know, we really do not contribute even close to 50%, you know, maybe 20%, you know, how important is my help? That, oh, we understand you. You have to do home. You have to carry, manage a child, you have to do the work. It must be pretty hard for you. And you, and you so have a job. Are, <laughs> and you have a job. So yeah, you have to do the work. So, so, Anyway, so this is the situation or this is the hand that we are dealt with. And for me, um, while we will all try and change the hand and the colors of the card that we are dealt with, but I have always taken this attitude that, uh, you know, I will try my best and I'm not going to take no for an answer. I will ask for a seat at the table. I believe in myself. I'm confident about my capabilities and I will ask for a seat at the table and, you know, Whenever I get the seat at the table, I will just prove myself. So I have actually, uh, maybe long time ago in my career, and probably had to do with all these, you know, diverse experiences uh, from uh, yeah. doing this, uh, growing up in a small town in India to moving to Singapore to do my college and starting my work to going to the US, Michigan, and then working in McKinsey, then going back to India. So, and then working in a few other countries for projects, etc. That, that sort of gave you that perspective that, okay, you can trust yourself. You are a reasonably capable person. So after that, I have just said that, you know, I will just put my best foot forward and I will get the seat at the table. And once you have that confidence or you can able to trust yourself, I think as you, you probably more better than me, you know, you will get the seat at the table, but it is an uphill journey. You have to really put out your best self every single day. I do think that people are engaged yeah. by different standards, men and women, and women have to sort of always um, perform better than men to get the same seat at the table. But at the same time, when I see my colleagues, like my younger junior colleagues in the workforce, and there are many, okay, we start the ratios at around 30, 30% at the intake, and we end up at 4% at the senior most level. So a lot of yeah. these 30%, they... I mean, it's their situations in life. Maybe they did not have the supportive husband, the supportive families or the uh, financial wealth to get the nannies and the helpers to help out with their kids. Or they simply just said, you know, I cannot deal with this. And a lot of yeah. them are very willing to um, just, you know, it's okay. It's just career is a part of my life. And my it's life is more than career. Yeah. So I'm not going to yeah. just push only on the career leg. I will do everything and I'm content. 
And I've seen a lot of women who have done that and I don't judge anybody, you know, everybody, their situation is different, but I just yeah. wish that there were more who, you know, really wanted to push ahead and get more and more seats at the table. And, um, then maybe when all around you, uh, you would see, uh, more representation, you would then think about equality. So there was one organization I worked with, which is CIPLA, which, uh, in between I worked there for a couple of years. And they really did not need a gender committee or anything because 30% of the top management was women. So uh, the, ex, yeah, the vice chairperson, the head of R&D, quality, they were all women. And because of this, you know, you didn't need committees. Everything used to happen seamlessly, you know, uh, the whole ramping down and, and ramping wonder, up. Yeah. I always wonder how some companies just figure it out and get it done. And others are still dragging and giving excuses about women don't want these positions. Women don't want to do all this work. And I'm like, did you, did you ask the women? <laughs> or did you just decide you don't want this work? Was there a conversation that happened that I missed? Um, yeah. So, no, I mean, it is, it is, I think it continues to be a challenge. And one of the things that you talked about is, you know, having, asking for a seat at the table. And I find that even when you get there, right, it, it, it's almost like a constant push. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and in a way, it might be easier at the lower issuance of the company because there's strength in numbers, right? Mm-hmm. When you start to get a high up there where the nose, you know, the nose bleeds, actually, it's like, it's like, how many women do you have? Three, four? Very few then there aren't any numbers to really talk about in terms of kind of the pushback. So you're doing impressive work. I'm glad to hear that you're continuing to drive the, the, the inclusion and diversity agenda. Um, and in doing all of this, you picked up a new, I don't, I don't want to call it a hobby because you treat it as more than just a hobby, which is your yoga. So I've been, I've been watching your Instagram feed over the last year, I think it is. And you're taking this really seriously. Have you, have you done yoga before? Is this something that you just picked up recently? And if so, what, what brought you to it? So, you know, my mother has been practicing for 30 years and she also teaches. Mm. I mean, she, this is not her profession. She, she just used to do it on the side. So I've always been around, you know, seeing this. And personally, I have gone on and off and on and off yoga. Um, Sometimes I used to just perceive it as a physical activity. So I used to just do it. Sometimes I practiced in Chicago when we lived there for some time. But last three years, actually, after uh, my daughter was born, about a year, one year after that, I had really problems with my knees. So uh, the physio advised that you please don't jump on the treadmill and do all those activities. Can you try something uh, more balancing gentler. like yoga? Yeah, gentler. So that's how I started and that was three years ago. And now I have almost daily practice. And I think the whole physical aspect of it, great, uh, but uh, it has sort of subsumed itself into the background. And now I am like a true student of yoga. I really wish to achieve sort of the inner state of yoga, which is so difficult to do, which is the, you know, the Chitta Vritti, Nirodha, or to calm the disturbances in the mind in, in a simplistic sense. So uh, yeah. that's what I hope to achieve. And uh, so the practice is there, the physical practice is there. And uh, I try to uh, try and do some 
breathing practices or some meditation around it. Uh, but I have really gotten, um, I have gotten a lot out of it in the last three years, which is what, you know, lets me just keep going in there and really learning about myself, about my body, but also my mind. And I think as a overall thing, it was, the, it, it happened to me at the right time. I had a little kid, a very uh, stre- a strenuous career uh, and a lot of work. And it really needed something to balance it out. And so glad that it happened to me then uh, because uh, you do need something that roots you. And uh, for me, yoga has been uh, that, uh, uh, that thing that grounds me and roots me and you know, helps me keep it real because things are not easy in today's scenario. Yeah, yeah. So, so Mark, tell me just <clears throat> a few things in, in very concrete terms that yoga has helped you with. Because I'm very interested in this area. I practiced yoga for a number of years, fell off the bandwagon last year, picked up again before COVID-19, and I've just dropped up again. And two or three weeks ago, we had a uh, one of the guests came on to talk about spirituality and yoga. <clears throat> and so she talked about it at, at a very spiritual level. And a lot of people who practice, practice it, especially out in the West, at, at the more, I would say, physical level, so to speak. So for you, what have been some really concrete examples of outcomes or benefits that you've had? Hmm. Um, so uh, maybe the thing that pops to my mind is, you know, if you want to do yoga, you cannot just depend on going to class two times a week or three times a week. You have to get up every morning and do it yourself. Uh, you have to get really? the mat out. I just <laughs> I mean, if, if this is all you do, you should probably do it at home because after the after the fiftieth class, you already learned enough to do it at home. I'm sure. So, so, so for me, I mean, it has been because it's very difficult in to go to class every morning when you're. I have to wake up very early at six five thirty and do it from six to seven or something before my kid wakes up. Basically, otherwise, I'll never get time for that. So. Uh, so first and foremost was actually being able to get to this situation. I've gone through the phases. I used to have a trainer come to my house every day. I used to use this and that, the video, go to classes, everything I've tried. But then finally, when I decided enough is enough, I need to get up. I know enough. Let me just do the practice daily. And while you're doing the practice, uh, that is so number one, you know, just accepting that uh, just a simple thing that getting up every morning and going to the mat, that kind of discipline. Uh, uh, it's just so hard, so hard to get. And it is for yourself, right? It is 100% for your own benefit. But yes. you know it, even if I sleep at 10 o'clock in the night, it's, there is no excuse. I would rather watch Netflix for two hours than wake up in the morning <laughs> and do my yoga. So <laughs> what is going on in my head, right? And this thing, it has just taken me so long to appreciate that, you know, this is your time. This is for you. You need to take care of yourself. Nobody else will. That was number one lesson. The number two was, you know, the, there are so many poses that are inaccessible, that are difficult. You put in your effort and you will see over year, one year later, I can do it. There are so many binds, twists, this, that. And I have, it took me one year to get one basic oh bind. And I did it every day. And, you know, this, it just teaches you the both aspects, right? One is that 
not everything is in your hand. You just wish and you are not going to get it. You have to put in the work. So, uh, and, the, <laughs> and the physicality of it, right? This just getting that bind. And I, I remember so many classes, so many instructors later, and all it took was doing it every single day. So it really keeps you humble. I think from a physical perspective, it has kept me humble that, you know, there are so many handstands I cannot do. Maybe I will do one headstand and then there's somebody else with both their hands in the air, right? Okay. There's so many things you cannot do. Uh, and it's such a long journey. So it removes the Taipei part of so it completely. Humbling. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. Yoga is extremely humbling. That whole mm. idea where people doing all kinds of things. I think, is it the pigeon? Is it that one that I, where you <laughs> the pigeon, on, the king pigeon? <laughs> like your hand, your, your leg, or you try to lift yourself. I, I, I cannot, I cannot find my balance. I've, I've tried this for three years and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to plant my face into the ground. I'm just going to let this one go. <laughs> is that, yeah, you're talking about the crow. You might be talking about the crow, the bakasan. Oh, the crow. Yeah, not the, the crow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Headstands done. The crow, I just I'm like, you know what, Birdie? I can't I can't you and I can't get on the same wavelength. And everybody has their thing, right? Every person who does it, that no body is perfect. Like no human body is perfectly designed to do everything. So everybody will have their challenge. And that is the thing that it really keeps you grounded and real. It makes you humble. And finally, yeah. of course, uh, the other physical aspect, since you asked for so many concrete things, the other physical aspect is when you do it and you want to do it daily, your food changes, your diet changes, uh, you know, the appreciation of sort of everything else, somehow, how you live, how you work, everything starts changing. Uh, I was reading some quote about, by BKS Iyengar, he says that, who, what changes is you change? Uh, it's not just your perception of things or how... Uh, or the things around you that change, you fundamentally change. As you're changing your body, you're also changing your mind, you're bringing everything into balance and harmony, and you change, and how you perceive everything change. So the one thing it has done for me is taught me patience. I mean, I just yeah. not used to be a patient person. I wanted everything now, <laughs> I'm very type A, go get up. I am not <laughs> If you could learn... <clears throat> under a female leader. Would you learn under Indira Nui or Sheryl Sandberg? Indira Nui. Where did you have more... <clears throat> my voice, what's going on? Where did you have more fun? <clears throat> Undergraduate in Singapore or business school in Michigan? Business school in Michigan. <laughs> wink, <laughs> wink. <laughs> Imagine you are a <clears throat> Bollywood leading lady. Oh. And who, <laughs> who would you prefer as a leading man? <clears throat> Riti Roshan or Shah Rukh Khan? Oh. Ritik Roshan, okay. I, I don't know. Indifferent to both, but let's pick Ritik Roshan. On holiday, would you rather go to Ladakh or Manali? Ladakh. Okay. If you could pick between two goddesses, would you rather be Shakti or Athena? I will be Shakti. I mean, I'm so type A. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For a night out with Adesh, would you rather have Italian 
or local cuisine? Italian. I'm not a fan of local cuisine. It all tastes the same. <laughs> okay. Um, in terms of history, are you a bigger mm -hmm. fan of the history of ancient Rome or ancient Greece? Hmm. I would say Greece, probably. Okay. If you had to pick one country in Africa to visit, would you rather visit mm. Kenya or Ghana? See, I've visited Kenya so many times and I really love it. So mm. maybe I'll go with Kenya. I love it. I've at least been there 15 times. So oh, wow. I still visit Kenya. Yeah. For, for business or for fun? Mostly for business, but all the business was tail-ended with some fun. So it's, I just love the country. <laughs> I love how you put that. Uh, wrapped in some, some, some fun with the business. So when you're going out for formal occasions, mm -hmm. do you prefer to wear a lenga or a sari? I mean, if I could wear a sari by myself, I would prefer a sari. <laughs> but just the sheer practicality of it, probably I will have to wear a lehenga because definitely I can wear that on my own. But sari, I need help. Oh my no. gosh. Which is funny in law, in, in, in business school, or did you just get funnier? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh I've always God. been funny about... This is really hilarious. It's because we haven't talked in a long time. I'm like, so why are you I kidding know. me over here? Okay, the last question. Given the choice between becoming the CEO at Mahindra or the Prime Minister of India, which one would you rather do? If I could either, I would become the Prime Minister of India and make some changes. But... I probably won't, and therefore the other one is what I should try and pursue. It, it, it's more feasible? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's feasible, but at least it's, you know, in the, in the realm of things, it's there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I ask that particular question because I'm usually trying to understand whether people are inherently politicians or would run for office or wouldn't. So in your case, that tells me Potentially, you're interested in politics. I think it is this, this question would have always been professional CEO as an answer. But looking at today, looking at where we are with where the world is going, I mean, if you gave me the choice, why would I not? If I can change some things or improve some things. It, it's, it's really a current situation. Otherwise, I would never ever want to become a politician out of my own uh, doing but if you know just look at the world today look at the climate crisis the migrant crisis the health crisis the race crisis I don't know if the leaders of the world are doing such a great job so maybe I should pitch my hat into the ring as well yeah yeah no I hear you well, Suman, this has been, it's, it's been so great to catch up. And I'm sorry that you took the podcast to actually get us on the phone, but I'm glad we finally did. Uh, it was wonderful. And like, like I told you when we were exchanging on IG, you, you don't realize 
what a phenomenal job you've done and all these things for you you kind of think okay I'm, uh, well i'm just you know a regular girl doing my regular stuff and you are but you are doing some phenomenal work and i'm so um thrilled to hear that you continue to pave the way for other women and you continue to be socially conscious and socially engaged and your little girl is absolutely lucky to have you as this adesh Thank you. Thank you, Abam. And you continue to inspire me as always. <laughs> All right, my dear roommate. It was so lovely to talk to you. I'll let you get on with your day. Thank you so much. And come back to visit us and please bring Adi with you next time. Will do. Will do. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Mama Talk Talks A Different Take. I'm your host, Abi Mambo. And for more diverse perspectives on everyday issues from everyday people around the world, join us next week as we explore the world of tarot with Susan T. Chang and education in Singapore with Sam Neo. Until then, stay safe and take care.